This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 94, the third part of the history of six-day races. In this episode, I will tell the surprising story how P.T. Barnum, of circus fame, became the first prominent promoter of ultra-running that launched it into the public awareness. Wow! I would like to thank the many of you who have signed up to be a patron for ultra-running history. Here's a shout-out to some of the new Patreon members. Matthias Holterman of Germany, Fran Lebowski from New Jersey, and Rick Martin from Pennsylvania. Please help this podcast to continue by becoming an ultra-running history patron. You can sign up to contribute a few dollars each month. Go to ultrarunninghistory.com member to become my partner. I'm sorry, what? That's ultrarunninghistory.com member to become a Patreon member. And don't forget, with each podcast episode, there is a much more detailed article included that you can read on ultrarunninghistory.com. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend. Okay, let's go. Now to the story. P.T. Barnum of circus fame, the ultimate showman, was surprisingly the first serious ultra-running promoter and established the first six-day race in America. He was famous for the saying, There's a sucker born every minute, and figured out how to get America to come out by the thousands to watch skinny guys walk, run, and suffer around a small indoor track for hours and days as part of his greatest show on earth, presented in the heart of New York City. As this third part opens, Edward Payson Weston, the most famous pedestrian in America, seeks more than anything to reach 500 miles in six days, which had never been accomplished before. He had failed in his first serious attempt, reaching only 430 miles and was called by some the Great American Fizzler. P.T. Barnum soon enters the story to lend support. Weston's failure in New York City to reach 500 miles spurred others to give it a try, even those with little experience. A key figure in this history, Edward Mullen of Boston, Massachusetts, came on stage in 1874 to try to steal the spotlight from Weston. Mullen was a talented 10-mile walker, but unproven at ultra-distances. That should have been a red flag. His 500 miles in six days attempt came at the Washington Riding Academy in New York City. The track for his attempt was said to be 17.3 laps to a mile. He began his quest at 12.24 a.m. on June 15, 1874. It was reported, Bolin was dressed in full walking costume consisting of blue silk trousers and white hose with Oxford shoes. He is somewhat slimly built, is about 5 feet 10 inches high, and weighs 130 pounds. As he turned to commence his journey, he started off somewhat slowly, his step, however, being elastic and springy. He finished his first mile in a very surprising fast time of 7 minutes 22 seconds. On day one, he accomplished the 115-mile 24-hour task 
beating Weston's 115-mile time by five minutes. At that point, he collapsed and had to be carried off the track by his backers. By day three, the determined Mullen had reached 233 miles on very swollen legs, one mile ahead of Weston's failed pace. On day four, an observant New York Daily Herald reporter suspected that fraud was taking place as he counted Mullen's paces per lap. The Herald reporter watched for some hours and finally concluded that the pace of which Mullen was walking did not agree with the time announced. This aroused a suspicion that there was something wrong with the track and that the walk was not an honest one. The reporter paced off the track and knew it was short. He obtained a surveyor's tape and the track was measured to be 65 feet short. This was significant. I'm going to take a shortcut. The track was actually 22 laps to the mile, not the advertised 17.3. Instead of covering 115 miles the first day, Mullen had only covered 90 miles, and after three days, he was at mile 183, not 233. Just a bit outside. Mullen claimed innocence, that he was unaware of the mismeasurement and continued walking. Even with this discovery, his timekeepers did not correct the mileage in their books. With poor math skills, Mullen walked an extra 30 laps, one and a half miles in 17 minutes, thinking that this would make up what he thought was a minor track measurement error. After six days, he finished in front of only 250 people and claimed that he had reached 434 miles. In reality, he did not come even close to 400 miles, at most 343 miles, and the entire event was fraudulent. If it were more widely known, it could have torpedoed the future glory days of pedestrianism before it had even started. Barnum and Bailey Circus was known for being the greatest show on earth. None of it would have been possible if it were not for an ambitious entrepreneur who was named P.T. Barnum. While his life and career were sometimes the source of controversy, he truly was a brilliant businessman and many of his ideas forever changed the entertainment industry as we know it today. P.T. Barnum began his career as a showman in 1841 when he created Barnum's American Museum on Broadway at New York City. Everyone who went to Manhattan in the mid-1800s went to Barnum's American Museum. The most brilliant scientists and the simplest country bumpkins. European royalty and recent immigrants who could barely afford the 25-cent admission. Barnum's fame and fortune grew and in 1870 he established a traveling circus, menagerie, and museum called P.T. Barnum's Traveling World's Fair, Great Roman Hippodrome, and Greatest Show on Earth. Barnum himself was something of a living curiosity. He had cultivated a name for himself as the Prince of Humbugs. A humbug is a hoax, and Barnum was the master who mingled the scandalous, the ludicrous, and the sensational with enough education and morality to make the whole thing seem acceptable to all. New York City was starved for diversion from harsh everyday life. 
1874, Barnum established his traveling circus on a good portion of a New York City block just east of present-day Trump Tower on Manhattan. It would be the scene for a decade of the earliest American six-day races. The site had been used by an old railroad depot. Barnum rented the train sheds there, opened a museum, and constructed a hippodrome. This was initially an open-air venue with a removable light canvas roof, giving it a big top feeling, the first stadium with a retractable roof in the United States. Inside was an elongated dirt oval surrounded by wooden bleachers. Balconies that hung over the main floor brought the venue's capacity to 10,000. It was enclosed by a three-story brick wall. The performance area was a massive 400 feet by 200 feet, larger than a football field. It included performance rings and a track to host chariot races. Barnum's new creation was opened on April 27, 1874. The Hippodrome housed the largest indoor gathering of people ever assembled together in New York City up to that point. Barnum looked for ways to boost attendance during the final weeks of the 1874 summer Hippodrome season. During late June, he held an amateur athletic week where various athletic competitions were held, including pole vaulting, rope climbing, standing long jump, and a one-mile running race. Barnum smartly saw the financial attraction of including pedestrians in his show. He next included amusing one-mile walking matches between letter carriers from New York City, walking on a soft dirt track. Finally, Barnum decided to sign up a more serious pedestrian for the Never on Sunday six-day event. The notorious Edward Mullen agreed to again attempt his 500-mile six-day walk, this time on a properly measured track. The Hippodrome would welcome paying spectators day and night for 50 cents each. It was a pretty brilliant idea, but did Barnum sign up the right pedestrian? Mullen was billed as the, quote, champion walker of the world, but had not won at any ultra distance. Nevertheless, Barnum had confidence in Mullen and accepted a $5,000 bet from a gentleman from the West who was sure Mullen would fail. An oval track was positioned in the inner ring of the Hippodrome for Mullen to walk on, measuring at 8.8 .8 laps per mile. The location of the track would allow him to continue walking while other programs were going on. Mullen began his walk at 12.05 a.m. on July 20, 1874. He reached 40 miles in 8 hours and then stopped for breakfast and a rest for 45 minutes. His mile times were degrading towards 15-minute miles. Mullen reached 50 miles in the afternoon and then rested as the Grand Congress of Nations was presented in the Hippodrome with hundreds of performers. He then continued going at a stronger pace. The pedestrian does not propose attempting any extraordinary bursts of speed, but simply intends to keep up his average a little more than 83 miles a day. It was a rough first day for Mullen. Rain fell for three hours and penetrated through the canvas tent cover, making the track heavy with mud. By the end of the first day, Mullen only reached 66 miles. His left knee is much swollen, and it is believed he will fail. 
On day two, Mullen struggled, only reaching 100 miles total, and complained about his sore knee. His condition improved on the next day, but his miles were still slow with a total of only 140 miles in three days. After walking only 18 miles the fourth day, he gave up, or was fired, at 10.30 p.m. for a total of only 158 miles in four days. He fell so disgracefully short of the mark last night that the manager of the Hippodrome, at the conclusions of the performance, put a stop to the affair. You're fired. Mullen would never accomplish much in the future at long-distance walking. Despite Mullen's failure, the pedestrian event was a success, and Barnum immediately signed up Edward Payson Weston's rival, Cornelius Payne, of Albany, New York, to walk during the final week of the Hippodrome summer season. Payne started competing in 100 milers in 1868. He was about 5 feet 8 inches and 123 pounds, and described as, quote, a wiry, well-formed, assuming, intelligent young man. He had quickly become a very prolific 100-mile walker, sometimes competing at the distance multiple times within just a few weeks. He had beaten Weston twice in head-to-head 100-mile races in 1868 and 1869. In the Hippodrome, Payne attempted to walk 115 miles in less than 24 hours, a feat that Weston had already accomplished. Payne started in the evening of July 29, 1874. Heaven knows I've got too far to go. He was dressed in a gauze shirt, black velvet knee breeches, red stockings, and low walking shoes. He began walking with a light, springing stride. But in the end, Payne's effort was a bust too. He only reached 67 and a half miles in 24 hours. After August 1st, 1874, the New York City Hippodrome closed for the season. It had been a successful enterprise that had employed more than 1,100 people and averaged 12 to 15,000 spectators daily. The animals were rounded up, costumes packed away, and the spectacles were loaded on multiple trains, up to 14 cars each, to head for Boston. It had never been tried on such a huge scale. The logistics were incredible. Three separate trains, 61 cars, three acres of canvas, almost a thousand people and hundreds of animals, all needed to be loaded, moved to the next town, and unloaded every 24 hours. The street presented a weird appearance, the numerous torches casting fantastic shadows on the unusual spectacle. The first car was loaded with the cage containing the rhinoceros, then followed the cages containing the performing lions. While the circus was away, it was planned to transform the immense New York Hippodrome into a winter theater for exhibition of, quote, monster equine dramatic performances. This required Barnum to replace the canvas roof for a light iron roof that would give support for the weight of the snow and include three rows of movable glass skylights that could still allow building ventilation. They hoped to reopen in six weeks by late September 1874. 
Even with this planned work going on, a fall season was scheduled to allow a portion of the arena to be used for events such as plays, tournaments, and yes, pedestrian exhibitions. Continuing with the pedestrian successes, Barnum signed up George F. Avery, age 20, of Boston to attempt to reach 500 miles in six days under his Boston Tent Hippodrome. Avery had some pedestrian experience. He started his walking career at an early age of 18 in Boston, competing at 25 miles and then stepping up to 100 milers. Just a couple months earlier, he had walked 100 miles in Manchester, New Hampshire in 21 hours, 40 minutes. At the Boston Hippodrome, Avery started his 500-mile quest on August 10, 1874 at 12.05 a.m., but became quite ill during the first day. It has been evident from the start that he was in very poor condition to perform his allotted task. During the afternoon of day two, he broke down at the entrance of the Congress of Nations and after reaching 101 miles in a very slow 39 hours, 18 minutes. He had an attack of vomiting, and his attendants from his condition were at once satisfied that he could not safely continue the attempt. His condition did not improve, and the attempt was given up. With yet another 500-mile failure, other pedestrians declared that no man living could walk the 500-mile distance in six days. With the circus away from New York City, a pedestrian event could still be held to bring in thousands into the Hippodrome. Barnum signed up Edward Payson Weston to bring his next 500 miles in six days attempt into the Hippodrome during September 1874. Barnum understood the big money the event would bring in from spectators 24 hours a day. Just as God gave Tom Thumb the curse of his smallness, he gave P.T. Barnum genius. What genius is, is the gift of being the only one able to see, but spend there all the while waiting to be seen. What I saw that nobody else did was that out there in this rough hewn country, there were millions of people waiting to be formed into an audience. That's it. That's what P.T. Barnum invented. I invented the audience. Barnum promised that he would pay Weston's wife a prize of $5,000 if Weston succeeded, worth about $120,000 in today's value. In preparation, the Hippodrome was repainted and was thoroughly cleaned from the completed roof construction. A survey track was laid out for Weston to walk on. It was measured seven laps to a mile. Could Weston really do it this time? He started his second attempt at 500 miles in six days on September 14, 1874 at 12.03 a.m. in front of only 200 people. When the word go was yelled, he said, Don't expect too much at first, but I'll accomplish it for sure. He received applause, gave a bow, and then started his walk. He reached 19 miles in four hours, made some stops during the first night, but struggled to sleep. He was feeling, quote, heavy and oppressed. Barnum was on hand and planned to be present at the walk every day. 
From early morning until late at night, the people kept flocking into the building. During the first day, he had stomach issues. He laid on his cot and was fed with chicken broth and coffee. But for the rest of the day, he felt, quote, squeamish and out of sorts. Eventually, he was taken off the track to his room where a doctor gave him a sedative and a laxative. But rest did not come when he needed it. He went back out and received loud cheers when he reached 50 miles. This gave him renewed vigor, and he reached 65 miles during his first 24 hours. On day two, after six hours of sleep during the night, he went another 70 miles despite contending with a large blister. After the third day, his total was only 205 miles. Barnum came down into the ring and walked the track several laps with Weston, thrilling the crowd. In the morning of day four, Weston, quote, staggered round the track and gesticulated alarmingly. He was put to bed in the afternoon with a heart rate of 140 and diagnosed with a congestion of the brain. After resting, he still would not give up and reached 224 miles after day four and 278 miles after day five. He proclaimed that he would walk 100 miles on the last day but his doctor would not allow him to try. He added 48 more miles, reaching a total of 326 miles, including walking a half mile backward near the end. He then mounted the judges' stand and thanked the spectators for their attendance. Three cheers were given for him. The public criticism across the country to Weston's second failure at reaching 500 miles in six days was brutal. As a failist, Weston is a success. In Chicago, the headline was, Another Weston fizzle. In Detroit, it was simply, As usual. In San Francisco, This effort has been the worst failure he ever made. Boston agreed, The failure is his worst. Now let him rest a few centuries or so. At Rochester, New York. With every failure, this remarkable man becomes more cheerful and exasperating. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania wanted him to stop. What an egregious humbug this man is, and what enormous fools are those who encourage him. Well, if you fail, try, try again. Barnum wasn't disappointed by Weston's performance and the money it brought in. He immediately responded positively to request to allow Weston to come back and try for the third time, again offering him $5,000 if he reached 500 miles. More in the press were critical. If he fails, it will disappoint nobody in particular. Just two weeks after his last failed attempt on October 5, 1874, Weston started his third 500-mile six-day attempt, again in Barnum's Hippodrome. He said, This time I will surely make it. He started impressively, got rid of his velvet suit after three miles, reached 25 miles in 4 hours 54 minutes, and 50 miles in 10 hours 35 minutes. But between miles 85 and 95, he was attacked by waves of drowsiness. <sighs> The solution? Being rubbed with whiskey and strong liniment. He called it a day after reaching 101 miles, 
then laid down on his cot, was examined by a doctor, and then carried to his room for six hours of sleep. Weston's attempt crumbled again. On day four, he only walked 16 miles with a total of 245 miles up to that point. A severe blood blister on a toe was a big problem for him. His attendants tried everything to solve the problem with lotions and cotton. In the seats above, scores of men and women sat with their necks craned eagerly forward, their whole attention absorbed in the contemplation of two swollen feet and ten inflamed toes. That's gross. Some expressed no sympathy, just viewing Weston as one of the properties in Barnum's show. Even though Weston's 500-mile goal was out of reach again, he still got up and continued. He staggers, rolls, and tumbles against his attendants, who are pulling to pieces his stretcher and removing the debris of bandages scattered about. He is what is called groggy. After a few moments more of shuffling about, he catches the eye of the timekeeper, throws the butt of his whip in the air, and starts off down the track amid a shout from the crowd. His walk is a strange, shambling, shuffling gait that suggests a drunken camel walking on hot plates. He revived again, and as the band played, was bouncing along at a lively pace, but whenever the band would stop, his rhythm of stride was slow. After a time, his legs began to grow numb with exertion, and then he resorted to whipping them with his little riding switch he carried. On day four, he reached only 286 miles, and in the end, finished with 345 miles. That was strike three for Weston trying to reach 500 miles in six days. Strike three, you're out! The Brooklyn Daily Eagle wrote critically, Edward Payson Weston has achieved another successful failure. He has not walked 500 miles in six days, and we doubt that he has ever felt himself able to do so. We advise Mr. Weston, in all seriousness, to walk off on his ear. The Times Union in Brooklyn agreed. The public has had quite enough of this sort of thing. The truth is, this walking business is fast degenerating into humbug. Let us have more walking, but less Westonism. The Brooklyn Union accused Weston of having, quote, an insane delusion that he could accomplish the feat. The Brooklyn Argus thought Weston could have a bright future, but would not experience it until, quote, somebody saws off his legs. The New York Herald wanted Weston to go away, wishing that his next 500-mile attempt would be a point-to-point -point walk away from New York City. If he will go away as far and as fast as his legs can carry him and stay away, we shall never call him a humbug or a nuisance anymore, but calmly forgive and forget him. In Buffalo, New York, they called him, quote, the greatest and most offensive of American humbugs. It was suggested that Weston next try to walk around the globe, starting from New York City and go halfway around and then stop till sent for. <laughs> Would Edward Payson Weston ever succeed in walking 500 miles in six days? And what next does P.T. Barnum have up his sleeve?
Stay tuned for the next part in the six-day history. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.